0: It certainly is wonderful to be here with all of you to worship God in spirit and in truth. I hope the things that we have to consider for a little while this morning would be edifying to you and encouraging to you in some way. As you can see on the screen, the title of our lesson is, Are My Prayers Vain Repetitions? We're going to notice the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses five through nine in this lesson. But for an introductory text, we'll just simply look at verses seven and eight. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Prayer is a great blessing that the child of God has. In fact, John said in the book of 1 John, He said that if we ask anything according to his will, God hears us. The word hear there presupposes, according to W.E. Vine, a response, meaning this. God hears everything. There's nothing God does not hear audibly, the audible sound in his ear. But what's different between the child of God and the rest of the world? John says a blessing for being a Christian is that God answers his children. That's a wonderful blessing that we have. But there's something that was bothering me a little bit. I wondered if there comes a time when our prayers become vain repetitions. And for example, when you offer thanks for the food and you pray to God for food. If you use the same words without coming up with new dissimilar words in the next time, is that a vain repetition? Well, I thought of this, you know, if you want to know something that you don't know, it's always best to go to someone that knows more than you. Well, the one that knows more than all of us is Jesus. And from his sermon, the great sermon on the mountain, Matthew chapter 6, I think we can come to an understanding and we can come to an answer to those questions. Remember this, though. Prayer is that divine communication that comes from the heart of a Christian and goes to the throne of God. It's more than a duty. It's a great blessing to the child of God. And as we begin, we want to back up and go to verse number five. This is what Jesus says on this occasion. He says, and when you pray, when Jesus says, when you pray, it's obvious that he's suggesting you will pray. And not only that, but you're going to pray often. Jesus understood that. You're going to pray often. So this is what he says. He begins this in this sermon. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't do that. Christians are going to pray often. Well, in Jewish culture, prayer was very important. It was in those days, and it still is today, among the Jews in their culture. In fact, they had certain intervals, you might remember. And they set aside these intervals, like at 9 a.m., and 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. And what they would do is, when those hours would hit, it was called the hour of prayer, they would stop all activity, suspend all of that, and take time to pray. In one way, that's a good thing. But by the time Jesus preaches this sermon, the Pharisees had taken it to a whole nother level and a whole nother meaning. They had taken something that was precious and priceless and private, a private act of worship, and turned it into a public spectacle. Religious leaders made long prayers, and they did so for show. Notice what he says here. This is what they do. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, I'll just say this about the posture of prayer. There is no design, designated posture for prayer. So when Jesus says they are standing, he wasn't condemning the posture of standing. In fact, that was just customary that when they prayed, they stood. But in the Old Testament, there's more examples. For example, we find that men oftentimes would kneel in prayer. Some would do this in great humility before the Lord. They would lay prostrate on the ground, face down, and they would pray. You know, we do the same thing. We have different postures for prayer, don't we? We stand sometimes. Sometimes we sit and we pray. Sometimes we kneel down and we pray. I know this. When I pillow my head at night and and I'm about to go to sleep, my prayers, I'm usually laying on my back. There is no designated scriptural posture for prayer. The whole idea is it's the humbleness of the heart that matters. It is putting yourself in Awe and respect for the great God of heaven. Now there's another custom that we have when we pray. It's called closing our eyes. Now I, I, don't want, I want to talk about that for just a minute. Closing your eyes in prayer can be something that helps you concentrate and stay focused. But it is no requirement, or there is no requirement for closing your eyes in prayer. i got to tell you something that happened to me as a kid. After services, we got in the car, we started driving home, I said, hey, Dad, Dad, so-and-so, he had his eyes open the whole prayer. You know what my dad said? How'd you know his eyes were open? Got caught. And then he said something that I have never forgot. He said, prayers are not made with the eyes. They're made with the heart. And that's what matters. But we have customs for how we do things, too, just like the Jews did. So... When the Pharisees would pray for the edification of themselves, when they would pray to be seen of men, their prayers got no higher than the ceiling, got no higher than the roof. The second place that the Pharisees abused prayer was, the first place was in the synagogues. And by the way, that's their place of worship. But not only that, they abused prayer on the corners of the streets. Jewish life and economy revolved around the outdoor market. And all of these praise seekers, they would capitalize on the street crowds. They were wide and major thoroughfares. And they would go to these places when there was a great crowd and they would pray to be seen and heard by others. We're getting this point because we're going to understand what Jesus meant when he said about vain repetitions if we understand the context of what he's saying. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. What do they do? They love to stand in the synagogues at their place of worship and speak and be heard for their much speaking. They like to go to the corners of the streets and all of that. Jesus says, when you do that, you have your reward. My father-in-law used to do it like this. You know what? Here's your reward right here. That's it. Whatever praise that you got from someone that said, oh, look, look at that Christian over there. Look at that person over there praying how wonderful. That's it. When you do so, to be seen of men. Now, Jesus is not prohibiting all public prayers. In fact, there are times when such is appropriate. Paul said this in First Timothy chapter two and verse eight. Get this now. He said, "I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands." When when Paul says men everywhere. That's not just talking about the assembly of the church. That's talking about everywhere. What he's saying is there's a need for prayer. And these men with holy hands are to be the ones that do so. There's a time for that. That men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. But what does holy hands actually mean? I preached on this a couple years ago, so I'm not going to go very deep into it. But the idea of lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands is not the posture of doing this. It is not. The hands have nothing to do with your prayer. And when Paul said lifting up holy hands, he wasn't talking about these hands, elevating them literally up in the air. This is what he meant. Lifting up holy hands means this. It means hands of men who are living holy or righteous lives. The lifting up of the hands is merely an allusion to the ancient practice of presenting the uplifted hands in respectful petitions to God. Those things are found in Nehemiah chapter 8, Psalm 141, and Lamentations chapter 3. So, what's he talking about? The command pertains to the kind of hands being lifted up and not the posture or the body during prayer. He's not condemning public prayer. Jesus was not. He condemns the improper attitude and praying for the wrong reasons because prayer is never to be offered so the speaker would be glorified. Now, we're going to learn that in verse 9 when we get there, but let's hang on to that thought. So before you pray in public, one should always review his motives because in verse number 2, we find that you have their reward. There's nothing else that's going to come. Now, I may have given you this example before. I don't know. I've given it somewhere because I remember preaching it. and I remember giving this example. So if I've given you this example, I still think it really applies. A couple of years ago, I think this is the perfect picture of what the Lord's talking about. A couple of years ago, by at five o'clock, I, was, I left the street where Bakersfield High School was. And I went down to the intersection. And it was extremely busy. Uh, and all of a sudden, all these people were gathered around. It was a, a very bustling time of the day. And I was driving with my air conditioned on and the windows were up. And there was a fellow over there on the street. He, one guy was holding up a sign about Jesus, and the other guy had a microphone and a great big speaker. He was praying in that speaker in that microphone with a gal that a lady that had come by. Now it's a wonderful thing to pray with people, isn't it? Why the microphone? It was so loud, I heard the prayer he was praying with my windows rolled up. There's only one reason that somebody would do that. Look at what we're doing. Look at me to be seen of men. I think that's kind of the thing that the Lord was condemning in our passage. But let's go to verse number six of our passage now. He says this. He says, when you pray. So in other words, don't do what I just said, but when you pray, Go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret, in a secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He shows that private prayer is to be private. You know, there's great blessings of private prayer. It's a time that you can depart from the stress of the day. It's a time that you can pour your heart out to God. It's a wonderful opportunity to pray to God and speak to him. We're going to talk about that relationship in just a few minutes. But this is what he says. When you go into your inner closet, God is there and God is going to hear and God is going to answer. He's listening to us when our prayers are correctly prayed. But this is what he says in verse 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Okay, what is that? If I use the same words from prayer to prayer is it automatically becoming a vain repetition or a ritualistic behavior or act What does vain repetitions mean The words the two English words vain repetitions comes from one Greek word by the way and that one Greek word means this It refers to stammering thoughtless chatter or a meaningless repetition of sounds or phrases. That's what it means to have vain repetition. And that's what the Lord was talking about. That's according to Robertson, by the way. So he says this, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions. And then Jesus says, who are the ones that are doing that? He says, as the heathen do. You know, the allusion here is to those pagan religionists who practice repeatedly calling on their deity's name in order to force him into action. The worshipers of Baal, you remember, at Mount Carmel, cried out from morning to noon. Remember, they said, oh, Baal, hear us in 1 Kings 18 and 26. It was also an event that happened in the days of the Apostle Paul as he encountered such a problem when those that were at Ephesus cried out to Diana for two hours the idea was that the value of a prayer was found in the quantity of words rather than the quality, but Jesus refutes that. And you know what he does? He proves his point when he gave an illustration or a story between the Pharisee and the tax collector. I'm not going to go into that story. I just want to say this. The opposite of what this one man did that Jesus said was justified had many words. Many, many words. But Jesus says that this man over here, the tax collector, is justified, get this, with seven words. God be merciful to me, thee, that's what it says in the original, sinner. Seven words. Not a whole lot of words. Seven words. Many religions today, oftentimes use vain repetitions buddhists and hindus chant their mantras charismatics work themselves into religious frenzies by repetitious acts still others today delight in the repetition of hail mary and our father but jesus condemns this repetition as being heathen and foreign in god's ears the god of the true christian is not lifeless He's not a piece of wood. He's not a statue. He's living and he is loving. He is not in some distant place that he cannot know what our needs are. In fact, he knows us so very well. Not only are our hairs even numbered, but he even knows what we need before we ask him. And yet, it is something we must do. We still must ask. As the Bible says, we have not because we ask not. God can be touched. God can be reached. God is Our father in Isaiah 59 in verse one. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. God does hear us. There's no reason to think that our many words will tell God something he does not already know. And by the way, when you pray to God, have you ever considered this? There's nothing you can tell God information-wise that he doesn't know. He already knows it. So prayer is not a time to start telling God stuff. If you want to tell God something, then tell Him how great He is. If you want to tell God something, tell Him how much you love Him. Tell Him how much you appreciate Him. Tell Him how thankful you are. Tell Him those things. But to tell God stuff by way of information, it's really not necessary. He already knows all that. Nothing you could say that tells God anything. And so when we pray to God, Jesus is not condemning all repetition in prayer. He is suggesting that every prayer be, he's not suggesting that every prayer is dissimilar to the previous one. In fact, Jesus himself repeats prayers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is facing the agony of death. He's facing the agony of death. In Matthew chapter 26, he went a little further, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In verse 44 of the very same chapter, just a few verses later, he said this. So he left them, went again, and prayed the third time. Please get this, saying the same words. Jesus, who was of absolutely no shortness for words or intellect or anything, he prayed three times, and in all three occasions, praying for the same thing, he used the same words. Was that a vain repetition? Surely not. What about praying for our food? I'm going to tell you why this bothered me, this troubled me. Is sometimes... People accuse Christians for doing some ritualistic thing when they pray. And it can be. Remember when kids were taught this quote unquote prayer called grace? Remember saying grace? Kids were taught grace. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. That is a mindless, memorized chatter. That's not a thoughtful, heartfelt prayer. That is just something that somebody says right before you eat that's different than using the same words when you pray must i change my words well first of all why do we pray for our food here's the reason it's not a ritual this is the reason first timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 4 for every creature of god is good and nothing is refused if it is received with thanksgiving that's number one The privilege of eating all kinds of food is conditioned upon the very fact that we receive it with thanksgiving. Then in verse 5, For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. That's the point. What gives us the right or permits us to eat it is by thanksgiving and prayer. So that's the reason that we offer thanks for our food. It's not to be seen of men. It's not a ritual. It's not a habit. It's because all things, every creature, all manner of foods, nothing unclean, is okay in the sight of God if you do so with prayer, and that is a thankful prayer. What else? Ephesians chapter 5, and verse, oh, by the way, sanctified means to be set apart or devoted to a righteous use. In other words, we are permitted to use that uh, by thanksgiving and prayer. Ephesians chapter five, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to thank God through Jesus Christ. So, those are the reasons why we pray for our food. But is it wrong if I say the same words? No. Absolutely not. If you're praying for the same things, prayer after prayer, Jesus showed when he prayed for the same thing, he used the same words. I'm not saying there's a memorized set of words. I'm just saying it's permissible to use the same words. The point being is this, is where are the words coming from? Do you mean the words every time you pray? Is it coming from your heart? Are you really thankful for the bounty that God has given us? Are you really thankful for the blessings he's given us in life? Are we thankful for the blessings of the day? Are we thankful for the food he has provided? If you are and you say those words and you say the same words, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. We don't have to come up with dissimilar words, prayer after prayer. And by the way, any prayer, I'm just going to add this too. Whatever you say when you pray for your food, whatever you say, it's all fine, provided it is scriptural things that we can pray for, and number two, that it's something that's coming from your heart. Whatever that is, fill all that in, and that's all okay when you pray for your food. Jesus condemned meaningless things. He knows everything And so he wants us to pray to God the Father. Persistence in prayer is commendable as long as our motives are sincere. Paul was persistent about the thorn in the flesh. Jesus taught persistence in the parable of the widow and the arrogant judge. In Luke 18 and 7, And shall shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, going back to our text. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. All right. He still wants us to talk to Him. What are the benefits of sincere praying? By the way, in life, all of us are like this. Nobody likes insincere people. If somebody says that they're sorry, but you know that they're not sincere, it really taints what they have to say. Everybody loves somebody that it comes from their heart and they're very sincere. What about prayer? When you pray with sincerity, a sincere prayer does the following. Number one, when we pray in a sincere prayer, we are strengthened as we cast our cares on him. Number two, we come to more fully understand our dependence that is upon God and God only. We are reminded also that we are his children through the blood of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said one time he said by our praying we are instructing ourselves more than we are him. Jesus said all of that and then he's going to give a little model prayer. We're going to go one verse from this prayer, one verse from this little example and it's in verse chapter is in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. After Jesus instructed his disciples how not to pray, he's going to give them instructions on how to pray, and he gives eight points. We're not going to go into those today. He gives eight points. Now, sometimes people think, well, this is the Lord's Prayer. No, it's not. It's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is the prayer that Jesus prayed. If Darren prayed this morning, that was Darren's prayer, because Darren prayed the prayer, and we all said amen. Whether you did so out loud or in your heart, that became your prayer too. When somebody's somebody's prayer it has to be the prayer that they prayed. But according to the Gospel of Luke, we find that this was not A prayer, it was not a ritual idea. It was not something they were supposed to say verbatim. It was in response to the disciples when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. So Jesus says, and then, by the way, that's found in Luke chapter 11. So Jesus teaching them how to pray in this sermon, he says, in this manner. He says, pray our Father. You know, we know that God is the almighty creator, right? He is the almighty creator. But he's also our father. In fact, we have a relationship with him. You know, when Paul said, Abba, father? We say, Abba, father. Abba, by the way, is an Aramaic term of endearment used by children to their father. This is so powerful to me. Not only is it his paternity, he's our paternal father in this regard. He is the great creator, but we have a relationship with him. And by the way, when you say Abba Father, it is a term of endearment given from a child to a father. That's the relationship that Christians have with God. He not only is our creator, he is our father, and we have that relationship with him in a term of endearment. We have that kind of a close relationship. What else? He says, in heaven... You know God is in this lofty position and therefore man uh, should give him ultimate adoration but there's more he is also omnipresent that's such an interesting concept such a great blessing we know he's in heaven that's where he is but he's also omnipresent meaning he is everywhere god is everywhere What a great blessing. And you know, you can know exactly where he is anytime you ask him and you call on him. He's there. He's in a lofty position of heaven, but he is our omnipresent heavenly father. But then the last part right here. Hallowed be your name. The name of God must be held in reverence. It must be held in adoration. It must be held in honor and without disrespect. If Jesus Christ, who also is deity, God the Son, who was the only begotten Son of God that died for the sins of the world, who lived a life that was perfect with no sin at all, tempted at all points like as we are yet without sin, if Jesus calls his Father in a prayer, Holy Father, how much more should we do the exact same? I thought about this yesterday There's many religious circles today that there's a disturbing, growing trend, and it's called casual worship. There's a trend that teaches that God is, to the Christians, their buddy and can be approached as an equal. But the practice of casual worship is not found in the Word of God. Or the wife of the televised television preacher that said, Go to worship but don't do it for God. God wants you to be happy and worship makes you happy. Therefore, go to worship because you're going to be happy and that's the way you have to look at it. You know, really, me being happy is irrelevant. We serve God because it's about God, not me. Whether I like it or not, now, hopefully and prayerfully, I would like it and love it to serve God. But it's about God. It's not about us. There's nothing, nothing in the Bible that teaches casual worship for your own benefit. Nothing at all. So when we say, Hallowed be your name, we are giving him the name that he should have. And we submit to that. Casualness of worship oftentimes is manifested in actions, speech, speech. And even dress that is immodest and that borders on sacrilege. One commentator said, I love this. Worship is not a casual act of friendship, but it is a sacrifice of transcendent homage. That's what worship to God is. Irreverence in prayer is only one area that a man violates God's expectations of worship. We can show our irreverence in other ways too, kind of like this. Kind of like casual attendance, absence from worship for secular events, being bored, dozing off, not paying attention, letting our minds wander during the communion when we're supposed to be focused on what our Lord has done for us. Just giving some examples how our minds can drift. And when we do that, we're showing irreverence for God because it's all about God. It's not about us. God is our supreme creator, the creator of the universe. Every prayer and every worship should include praise, adoration to the Father. I like what Revelation 4 and verse 8 says. In fact, a song was written, and you all know the song, by this passage. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In closing this morning, we've noticed some principles of proper prayer. We've noticed, number one, Never pray to be seen of men. Now, i got to say one thing about this, folks. I like what Linwood Smith said one time. There's a big group at a table at a gospel meeting somewhere. It might have been the New Year's meeting. I don't even think we were in California, so I think it was the New Year's meeting. And I remember what Linwood said. He's sitting at the head of the table, and it was loud in there. And we were talking about offering thanks, and can you hear? Is everybody able to hear? Is it just too loud? And Linwood said, listen, we don't do so To be seen of others or because of the image we're portraying, but we can't also on the other side, we can't be ashamed either. So when you pray, don't be pray to be seen of men. Look at me, I pray for my food. Do it to be seen by God. Number two, pray publicly, absolutely, but always for the right motives. Always for the right motives. And it's never about us. Number three, Do not use vain repetitions, and these are meaningless phrases, but it doesn't mean that if I say the same words in a prayer today as I did yesterday, it's a vain repetition. It's where it comes from. It's got to come from the heart. If it does, whatever you say is all right. Number four, address the Father with reverence in every aspect of your life, in every aspect of worship, in every aspect of prayer. Address the Father with reverence. And make our petitions in the name of Jesus Christ. These are the principles for proper prayer. And when we do that, whether or not we do so privately or publicly, God will reward us openly. He hears us and he answers those prayers. I'm through. Thank you for your kind listening to what we had to consider. I hope and pray something was said that was helpful or encouraging to you in some way.